Well, good morning, everyone. Wonderful to see you this morning. Wonderful to be here. Let's do something very unusual for me. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. <laughs> Phil, you were right. Phil Widener came in this morning and he said something about, I know you're going to have to begin with Genesis. Well, it is the beginning place. Look at Genesis chapter 3. Perhaps I'll turn there with you. And in these verses, we receive a revelation from God concerning the most basic issue with which we struggle concerning the will of God. So let's just read, let me read to you just verses 1 and verse 6. Now the serpent, now the serpent was more crafty Ability to enchant. Now the serpent was more crafty than all the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And what is implied very clearly and strongly is this. God had given Adam and Eve. God gives us a place and a way and a reason to experience him. And the enemy, either personally in my life or through other activities through the use of technology through busyness through whatever he comes along and he says do you really believe that there's no other way of Experiencing God except that way? Look out there and look what's available. Look what's exciting. Look what's pretty. Look what sounds good. Look what appears to be fashionable and acceptable. Get involved. Express yourself. And so he calls Eve to look away from the purpose of God. And once that happens, let's look at verse 6. 
so when the woman saw the tree, remember? When the woman or when the man or when we see what's out there and what everybody's doing and what we can have and where we can go and all the opportunities. And she saw the food that it was a delight to the eyes. Oh, so pretty. It was desired to make one wise. It was good for food. She took of its fruit and ate and also gave to her husband who was with her and he ate. Look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked. We've been in a series concerning the dangers of living in the land of enchantment. And beginning last week, Pastor Evan began to share with us some of the ways that we can be protected from being swallowed up by Satan's lie. Because if you look at the last three words in verse 6, what does it say? And... He ate. And when that happened, sin came into the world. This morning, we want to talk about what of the world's activities that Satan has designed to draw us away from our devotion to Christ are we partaking of. Are we saying don't do anything? No. Are we saying everything's evil? No. What we are saying is that within the context of living in this world, there is a way to live that promotes God's purpose and protects us from being overcome by the evil purposes of the devil. And that way has to do with listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and asking questions and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak and to give us of his wisdom and the gift of discerning. So there are those ancient paths. Remember in Jeremiah six sixteen, the Lord gave his people the instruction. And he says this, Stand by the roads and look and ask Ask, ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. So what are these good ways? These good ways are the ways of God. And this path is the path of God that he lays out before us, specified in his word, being enlightened by the Holy Spirit so that as we traverse through the world, we can remain the distinctive people of God for his purposes. As we keep our eyes on his ways and his purpose, walking his path, 
in the midst of a world that has a thousand other pretty paths out there. How many of you have ever heard this word from Proverbs 14, 12? There is a way that seems right to a man, but the ways there are, the ways are the ways of death. How many of you first heard that? See, all that stuff out there seems good. We're not judging it or condemning it. But in the midst of all that's out there, look at the land within the context of the word of God. See what's going on first and who is the God of this world. And then begin to discern it through, if you would, Jesus' glasses. Rather than discerning it and participating in it and submitting it, submitting to it because it's fun and everybody's doing it and it's okay and it's all of that. No. There is a way that seems right to people. But there's a snare in it. So this morning, we're going to be talking about the ancient path of fellowship. I'm going to say it this way, as God's primary means of accomplishing his purpose Because fellowship is not only God's primary means of accomplishing his purpose. Fellowship is God's purpose. If you were to look at this Bible and begin in chapter 1 of Genesis and end at the end of Revelation 22, you're going to see one central theme. This book is about one thing. One thing. God's purpose And procedure to have a people in whom and with whom he will fellowship forever. That's what this book is about. It's not salvation. The book about is not being saved. Being saved is the way of getting to God's purpose. God's purpose is that I may have a people of my own with whom, in whom, through whom, that we may fellowship together. Amen? That's the purpose of God. And wouldn't you know it? Wouldn't you know it? That slew foot comes along And he offers us so many other means of fellowship which are more delightful and more fun and more meaningful, seemingly so, to our lives and to our well-being, to our flesh. Hath God said, do you really think so? So let's move along. What's biblical fellowship? The dictionary defines it as this way, a unified body of people or of equal rank who share common interests, goals, and characteristics. In other words, biblical fellowship is the gathering of God's people. Now, that gathering may be on two or three different levels. It obviously is the gathering on Sunday mornings. It's also the gathering in covenant groups. It's also the gathering of Bible studies throughout the week. It's also the gathering of friends at lunch or dinner. It's also the gathering in the family, at home, 
for instance, around the dinner table. It's the gathering of two or more of God's people. All of whom are equally loved and forgiven and who share the common life of Christ, the common interests and characteristics of Christ for the common goal of displaying the life of Christ to the world for the glory of God. You see, that's God's purpose in saving us. When the church was first birthed, remember in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the Bible says this about the early church. They devoted themselves. What word did I just use? Did what? Devoted themselves. They made a decision to go this way rather than that. They decided against other avenues and other ways and decided that this was the way of blessing and welfare in Christ. And they devoted themselves to several things, but I want to just make one in particular our object this morning. They devoted themselves to fellowship. And you see, this verse doesn't say that they were devoted themselves to fellowship when they had time and energy. Time and energy. Well, Mischief Sunday. Well, you know, I just was tired from last night because I stayed up. Or couldn't get here because, and all of the reasons why too often too many put the issue that is primary in the heart of God on a secondary or fleshly level. And we determine when we will meet and why we will meet and under what circumstances we will meet rather than saying to God, this we know is your primary purpose for our lives and we are not going to allow anything at all to get in our way of meeting. You see, I dare say that if there were a way of guaranteeing that whatever illness you have, guaranteeing it some way, that next Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, God is going to heal every disease. God is going to mend every broken relationship. And God is going to take care of every financial need in your life. I guarantee you couldn't get in the way you couldn't get near this church. You know why? Because we see something more important in that than what's otherwise available to us. You see, fellowship for the early church, and this is still very much the same way for many in the church, but for too many it's a diminishing issue. Fellowship in the church was the priority. The priority. I mean, there, there, there's some older people in this church that we remember. Mary, you and Harold, remember? When the church opened the doors for fellowship and teaching and ministry, where were you two? You were here. Did you remember that far back? Uh, Nancy, when the church doors were open, where were you and Bill and the family? You were here. I was raised that way. 
Gene was raised that way. And you say, well, there was nothing else to do. Well, of course there was something else to do. Good night. How many of you old people know that there were other things to do in life besides come to church? Amen? Is green here somewhere? Where's green? Green, don't you know that? But we knew something then. Phil, you knew something. You raised four children. You had a difficult life. Sorry. Liz, you raised four children. (laughs) You had a difficult life. Thank God I got that one right. (laughs) Liz, it was easy raising three beasts and a lovely. Wasn't it? Their oldest son is the age of my oldest, um, my daughter, about a month difference. And yet, how often did you miss assembling? Almost never. What's happened? The world has changed. No! We have changed. In our devotion to Christ through fellowship. Amen? Oh yes, the world has changed. Matt, it's not the same world when I was your age than it is today, but may I say it without using some of the terminology I wanted to use. I don't give a hmm about the world's change. It has no effect upon me whatsoever unless I allow it. I am called to be devoted to fellowship In Christ. I don't blame the world. I don't care how much of his trinkets they have. The problem is my heart. My heart. Don't look elsewhere. Where to look? Look in the mirror. We have seen the enemy and what? He is us. Remember last week, Pogo or somebody like that? Let me move along. What's the significance of fellowship? One of the reasons, I think, maybe the central reason, that our fellowship declines in the church is that we have been doing what Eve did. We're not seeing fellowship through the eyes of the one who has called us into the fellowship. We're seeing fellowship within the context of our own understanding and thoughts and desires and aspirations. We're seeing fellowship in the way the world says we need or don't need to fellowship. And the moment we begin to be like Eve and swallow that pill that says... Do it another way. It's okay. We begin to move away from the central issue of God's heart. What does fellowship mean to Jesus? Turn to Matthew 28. Turn to Matthew 28. You remember Matthew 28, it's the morning of the resurrection. Now, wouldn't you think 
the first thing that Jesus does and in his instruction after rising from the dead would be somewhat of a clue to the significant things in life. Here's what the Jesus says. Look at verse 8 to 10. And the women, the people who were there, departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said to them, where yet? Now, those of you from New Orleans, that means greetings. <laughs> and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Oh, well, you know, I got to do other things today. I don't know if I, that's a long haul, man. It's hot, my back hurts. Not this Sunday, maybe next Sunday. And hopefully, hopefully that sermon that man's going to speak is going to be at least interesting. Because he can be boring. Now, you don't know which one I'm talking about. So, what about the day of Acts? Acts chapter 2. Turn to chapter 2 of Acts. It's in your Bible. Acts chapter 2, remember? Jesus tells the disciples at the end of the 40 days, he ascends into heaven, and he tells his disciples, hey, don't go anywhere. Stay together. And look at verse 1, because typically in Acts chapter 2, which is the one with the filling of the Holy Spirit, remember that? We get to that, but we fail to see why it happened the way it did. What does verse 1 say? And most of the people whom Jesus said the way they were able to get there, some weren't, but it was okay, and it, you know, it was just a kind of a gathering of folk. What happened? And they all were what? Together what? Together. In what? Say it again. One place. They've been there 10 days. 10 days. Why 10 days? Well, the answer is, I don't know, but I think I have at least an understanding. Well, I have to tell you the truth. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly why, but I think I have an understanding, Jackson, and it's this. Jesus is going to do and begin the most significant thing on earth for which he went to the cross. This is the most significant thing on earth for which he went to the cross. Did you get it? The cross is God's way or means of getting to that which is significant for him. What is that? Bring my people together. Ten days. These people are in this place. And I do believe that at least to a large extent, they were learning to be together, to share together, to pray together, to wait together, 
together, together, together, one another, one another, one another. So when, in the fullness of time, God is now ready through this fellowshipping people to pour out his spirit and begin the greatest evangelistic work the world will ever know. What preceded it? Function did not cause, was not the power of the church. Function wasn't the power of the church. What we do in our programs and our activities, not even Alpha, not even, oh, and I hesitate to say this, school of the word is the primary, I'm out of breath. Someone may need to give me a drink of water on that one. Not even the function of the church will never be what it needs to be in the purpose of God until or unless and to the extent that it is built on and rests upon the fellowship of the church. We are called 1 Corinthians 1.9. Write it down. Learn it. 1 Corinthians 1.9. What does it say? For God is faithful who has called us into Christ. No, it doesn't say that. Who has called us into the fellowship. What does that mean? That means more than just me. Billy, it means more than just you, brother alone, right? We are called into the fellowship of God's Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the purpose of the cross. This is the purpose of the creation. And from that fellowshipping community, God brings forth all the Holy Spirit directed, empowered function. When function is more of a primary consideration and emphasis in a church than fellowship is, the function will never, in at least my little mind, accomplish what God wants to accomplish to the extent. Why? Because it does not say we were called into the function of Christ. We were called into the fellowship of Christ. Jesus is making disciples, what, of a fellowshipping group of people together who when they are fellowshipping and learning to be dependent upon one another, living, them, living into one another's lives and sharing and praying together and allowing the Holy Spirit to unite them as one group, then they are being taught by the Holy Spirit, they are maturing, and they will be able to go out into the world as an army of Christ for the accomplishment of the gospel. I think there was a reason for the 10 days. Now, what are we supposed to be experiencing when we come together? In a group like this, in a covenant group, just as Gene and I sit together at dinner, May I make an off-the-cuff comment? Is it okay? Going to do it anyway, right? I cannot tell you. And I'm not being critical. I'm not being judgmental. But I am lamenting over this. I can't tell you how many husbands and wives or individual husband and a wife 
together, not together, that don't have dinner together and with the family. I don't say, oh, you missed dinner with your wife last night, therefore. I didn't say that, did I, Bob? Who regularly, because of their schedule, and there may be some odd schedules, but under the normal circumstances, it's not as convenient as whatever. Sometimes if I'm late, I will call Jean or she'll call me. She's hungry. And she'll say, what time are you coming home? Or maybe, are you ever coming home? Or please, are you coming home? <laughs> and she'll ask me, is it okay if I get something to eat before you get here because I'm really hungry? Oh, Come on, man, she's your wife. She can do what she wants to do. Is it okay? But when I get home, except once in a while this happens, we sit down together. Fellowship. One of the fabrics of fellowship is the family. And as Satan begins to undo those interconnecting fabrics, I mean, the kids are everywhere, you know, just where the kid, well, I don't know that. <laughs> hey, 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 stop it. Amen? May I say it again? Stop it. Do whatever you need to do to gather your family. Why, why, why? What does Jesus say? When a couple more of y'all, when two or more, a couple more of y'all are together, where am I? Where am I? I'm in the midst. I'm in the midst. So you see, our fellowshipping as a church in the various contexts is not just a gathering of folks. It is a gathering of God's peculiarly bought, called out, anointed, gifted, directed people to experience fellowship with Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And so as we fellowship together, sharing our lives and our experiences and what the Word says, not just talking about the saints, and I don't think that's a problem, but not making those the issue, but the real issue is our common life in Christ, etc. As we share together, what we are doing, we are experiencing, and we really need to see this, we are experiencing our, a communion that exists within the Godhead among the three persons of God. This is what you see 2 Peter 1.4 says. Turn to 2 Peter 1.4. It's so important to see what fellowship is from the view of God. 1 Peter, I'm sorry, 2 Peter 1, let's read 3 and 4. 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4. His divine power, who? God. Has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us 
to his own glory and excellence. We're called to him. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Why? 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 So that through them, these promises, this work, this great cross, the calling of God, the giving of the Spirit, so that through them we may become partakers. The word there is uh, a koinonia. It has to do with fellowshipping or kinonia for, uh, for a butch. It has to do with fellowshipping. Fellowshipping of the divine nature. We are called together in our fellowship to be experiencing the very fellowship that exists within God himself among the three persons of the Godhead. And this is a mysterious and spiritual work, you see. You remember the disciples, 120 of them in the upper room. Can you imagine for 10 days? Man, man, what's going on here? And if you would have asked any of them before the day of Pentecost had fully come at 9 o'clock in the morning, had you asked any of them, why are we together? Well, Jesus said so. And that's all you need to know, by the way. Amen? You see, we don't need to have any other reason. We don't need to be giving out lollipops and all that. We are here because God has said to do it. Amen. How many of you guys, you get up in the morning even though you don't feel like it and you're tired and all that. You go to work because you better. How many of us do that ever? Oh, ladies. Yes. Oh, you don't call your boss and say, hey, look, I had a late night last night. I'm just not coming in. Just deal without me. Oh, yeah? Once. Don't show up one time like that and see if you get the next job for hauling things around. Correct? Oh, I don't have time. I just. What was I talking about? And what were they thinking? Why are we here for 10 days? You know, do you know how much stuff I have going on in my life? I don't have time for this. I don't have time. My life is busy. If your life is too busy to get with God, you're not busy about God's busyness. Amen? Oh, don't say that. Oh, it's so true. What was happening is that God was doing a deep, secret, mysterious, spiritual knitting together of people as a group or as a fellowshipping unit. So when the Holy Spirit came, they were all in one accord and received in one accord the gift of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine if you were just too tired to go to church that day? What happened last week? Anything at all? They were devoted to Christ. There's a man in this congregation. He's one of several. He was offered a fat job in another city. And by the way, just because you're offered a fat job and go somewhere else, it doesn't mean you're wrong. Please don't get that. And typically speaking, this is the way guys are. Well, it's a good salary. It's a good promotion. I'm going to be going over there. Well, what about the church? Oh, I'll find a church. I'll find it. God will be faithful. Aren't you glad God is more faithful than we are? 
And he tells his boss that really he's called to fellowship in this church and he's kind of not going to be able to go there and do that. What? You mean your job isn't the most important thing in your life? No, fellowship with Christ is. That man in this congregation is sitting in here this morning and God is ministering to him and financially providing for him and the business, if I think I can get it straight, adjusted itself to the purpose of God to which this man was called at Lakeview Christian Center. Amen? I am tired of us and me too, me too, adjusting ourselves to the siren call of the world. We need to be adjusting the world to ourselves. Come on, church. You see, as we gather together for fellowship, we are actually experiencing the very same fellowship that Lord, the Lord Jesus shares with the Father and the Spirit. As we gather together to fellowship with one another, we are participating in the very fellowship within the Godhead. And we are experiencing among ourselves the very love that God the Father has for the Son and has for the Spirit and they for Him. We are experiencing the peculiar, one-of-a-kind, God's kind of love as we get together. And as that happens, God is ministering to us and building us up and knitting us together as a fortified group of people. So what does Jesus say? The gates of hell shall not, what? Prevail against my church. But what kind of a church? You see, today, friends, the gates of hell are prevailing all kind of ways against the church. Amen? Are you, are you, do you don't believe this? Do you believe this? Come on. But against a fellowshipping in Christ's church, a devoted people to Christ, ain't no devil, no combination of devils, no work in the world, no anything that can penetrate the fabric of fellowship within Christ. It's not going to happen. The issues in a family, the tension, the difficulties, the problems. Could it be that one of the foundational problems or weaknesses in the family is that the fabric of fellowship is too loose and allowing too much to seep through in a detrimental way. How to deal with these things? First, deal with your fellowship with Christ personally and then as a family or as a covenant group or as a church group, fellowship then God will build on top of the fabric of fellowship the function of the church and make it an impenetrable barrier against the waves and the wiles of the devil. (laughs) 
Listen to this word in John 13, 34 and 35. In fact, you may want to turn there. John 13, 34 and 35. You know, and as use your Bible as a textbook. Okay. A textbook. I use this Bible as a textbook. I write in it. I underline in it. Bill Treby, my good friend, gave me this Bible because I was lamenting that the ESV, the way it was put together, has these big paragraphs and the verses within them. And I couldn't find the verse that I was looking for, even though I knew the verse. And so Bill bought me this, very kind of him, where the verses are on, you know, the outside, where I can see the verse. So if I'm looking for verse 34, I see it right there, rather than trying to dig around in a paragraph. And use your Bible as a textbook. So, John 13, 34, 35, Jesus is talking about, John 13 to 16 is all about communion with and fellowship with God in Christ. That's what the purpose of these verses and this pas- these passages are. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Now, what is the context of loving one another? If you ain't never around another believer, can you love that believer? So one another begins, is, is indicative, obviously, of fellowship. Of fellowship. So when we see these words, let's see what these words are telling us. One another. What does that mean? Fellowship. Just as I have loved you. Well, how does Jesus love these men and these women? They were together, together, together. It was through the activity of fellowship that the love of God in Jesus Christ was given to these men and women and experienced by them and motivated them and built them and saved them and etc. In the context of fellowship. He says, you also, as I have loved you, ought to love what? One another. Underline those words, one another. They're very important. Those are fellowshipping terms. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another. Now, what's wrong with Jesus? He's stuck in that word. Yes, he is. Do you know when you read the New Testament and Evan May is the expert, and I really do mean that, the expert in this, I am far from it. I don't know how many of the pronouns you are plural, but Evan, a whole lot of them are. And you see, when we read it, it's I, my, me. Me, myself, and I, my ghost, my shadow, my spirit, all six of us. It's we. We were saved individually to be located in or joined to a corporate group. God is a trinity, a plurality within himself. He's not an individual being. A being, he is an individual being, but he's not an end of singularity. He is a plurality of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Therefore, the fellowship of God, the fellowship that exists within God, the function within the trinity among the three persons and their roles and their love is to be expressed and experienced in the church. God is a fellowshipping being within himself. And we are called into this. This is not a secondary matter. This is the very heart of who God is in himself. Not something we can just whatever. This is God. I think I've given this picture before. If I have and you've heard it, then listen again. 
man buys a piece of property at the highest price. And he hires an architect. What do you call those garden architects? What do you call them? Plant what? Landscape architect. And he says, I have purchased this property for one reason. I have purchased this property to be the visible display to all my neighbors of the grandeur and the greatness of me and my family. So he hires an, what do you call it? Landscape architect. And so the landscape architect surveys the land and he creates a design that he knows will be not only honoring of, but absolutely beautific in the way it reveals the architect's purpose. So the landscape architect, I keep I'm fumbling over that. You're going to have to help me, Jack. Kind of landscape architect, old man. The landscape architect goes into the world and he starts buying shrubs and bushes and plants. All kinds, all designs, all shapes and sizes, colors, you name it. And he brings it all together. And he decides what plant goes where next to whom. Look at the people you're sitting next to. I mean, like, oh my goodness. Aren't you glad there are a lot of empty seats so you don't have to sit next to that person? Frank, I don't think there's going to be an empty seat in heaven. Not an empty seat. And he spends all this time in purchase and digging and planting and watering and pruning. Bringing all of this together. And once it's finished, he presents it to his architect. The architect. And then he invites the cosmos to look at his design. And we look at it, and as we look at it, looking at it, which way is this, horizontal? Right? I went to school in New Orleans, you know. Looking at it horizontally, we see the beautiful waving and the flowers and all the colors. Wow, this is a gorgeous, gorgeous garden. But then, the landscape architect says, you ain't seen nothing. Remember? So he takes us up in his helicopter. That's a helicopter. And he flies over the garden. And when he does, the people in the helicopter... Oh my heavens, this can't be. It can't be. Oh my heavens, that shows me that this is the greatest landscape architect in all the world. Why? Because you see, in all the planting has been configured in such a way that the smiling face of the architect is demonstrated.
There's the face of the one who purchased the property. We're the planting of the Lord, Isaiah says, that God may be glorified. That's the purpose of our fellowship. It's important if this plant doesn't come to church one Sunday, or this plant misses that, or that plant, or that plant, or whatever. It's important. Because we don't want to be marring or distorting the face of our great architect, God Almighty himself. You need motivation? 1 Corinthians 1.9, what does it say? For God is faithful who has called us into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's your motivation. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 3 to see an example of what happens. When we, the church of Jesus Christ, called out of the world into Christ to be demonstrating to the world the glory of our God in Christ... So that the world may see the face of Jesus Christ in me and in us individually and corporately and know that he is the Lord of glory. Look at Nehemiah chapter 3. Give me a moment to get there. What's been happening? Nehemiah is the cupbearer for Ahasuerus who is the Persian king, Xerxes. He's gotten news from his brother that the walls of Jerusalem are down. They're torn down. They're destroyed. What do the walls represent? They represent the testimony of Christ is within the walls. The temple is within the walls. The presence of God is there. Outside is the world. It is a place that defines and distinguishes and protects the testimony of God and his people. The church. And so Nehemiah, under the leading of God, going back to Jerusalem for what? To rebuild the walls of the city of David, the city of Zion, the city of the great king, the very presence of God in this great temple. So let's look at chapter 3. Look at verse 2. What are the first four words in verse 2? Somebody can see it. It's okay. And next to him. Look at verse 4. And next to him. And further down. And next to him. Them. Look at verse 5. And next to them. Verse 7. Next to them. 8. Next to them. 9. Next to them. 10. Next to them. Next to him. 12. Next to him. I mean, I, I may have missed a couple. Verse 17. Next to him. 19. Next to him. What is this saying? How does the wall get built in 52 miraculous days? How does that happen? How does it, and when the world sees that, they all of a sudden realize, wait a minute, this is not just a building project. God is in the midst of this. Listen to verse 15 of uh, Nehemiah, Nehemiah 3. Wait, I'm sorry, chapter 5 of Nehemiah. Let me get this right. It's Nehemiah 6, so I don't know where I put that. Ah, here it is, 6. 15 is what I wanted to say. 6.15. Here's the result. So the wall was finished on the 25th day, 52 days. 
And when all our enemies heard of it, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Do you hear it? The gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. Do you hear it? When all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own, fell greatly in their own esteem. Oh, we ain't so big after all. And they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. The church is God's exclusive people whom he has called out of the world for the exclusive purpose of displaying his exclusive glory through the exclusive fellowship with his son. Only to us who are in Christ. Only to us who are the members of the body of Christ. How important is fellowship to God? We are called Two terms, the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. That's how important our Heavenly Father determines that fellowship is. We're the bride and we're the body. The question is not whether fellowship is central. The question is, are we devoting ourselves to that which is central to God as central to us? That's what the issue is. This morning we're going to join in the fellowship of communion together, the Lord's Supper, if you would. And as we prepare our hearts for the giving out of the elements, let me just reiterate Fellowship, and there's so much more to say. You know, we haven't even scratched the surface. Fellowship means that God's intention for his church is to be more than just a gathering of a group of people. Fellowship is the gathering of God's blood-bought family to celebrate his loving grace through our interpersonal and interconnected relationships and activities. As we share the common life of Christ by loving, caring, and serving one another. So that the life of Christ may be seen by the world that is being enchanted by its own self-interests and self-love. How will they know that Jesus is alive? We are the living breathing, walking, talking, relational body of Christ. And to the extent we devote ourselves and pursue God type of fellowship will be the extent of the work of God in our lives. Let's this morning decide, devote yourself Decide, first of all, that fellowship is God's primary purpose. Because in fellowship in Christ is God's glory manifested to all the creation. He has decided to set the uniqueness and the wonder of his own glory within the fellowshipping church. So as we look around, as we see one another, as we share with one another, as we... 
commune with one another, as we allow our lives to become interconnected with one another. We are visibly not only participating in, but looking at and experiencing and seeing the very glory of God. So this morning, as the Lord leads and the ushers will come down and lead on this, You'll be, get, you'll be getting up out of your rows, I think on the right side, coming up and going back on the left side. I think I had that right. So we're going to begin to take the elements and return to our seats for a joint partaking of the elements. And as we take the elements and return our seats, Eric is going to lead us in worship. sins away slain for us and we remember the promise made that all who come in faith find forgiveness at the cross so we share this bread of life and we drink of his sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of peace around the table of the king The body of our Savior, Jesus Christ, torn for you. Eat and remember the wounds that heal, the death that brings us life. Paid the price to make us one. So we share in this bread of life and we drink of his sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of love around the table of the King. The blood that cleanses every stain of sin shed for you. Drink and remember He drained death's cup That all may enter in To receive the life of God So we 
share in this bread of life and we drink of his sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of grace around the table of the King and so with thankfulness and faith we rise to respond and to remember our call to follow in the steps of Christ as his body here on earth as we share in his suffering we proclaim Christ will come again and will join in the feast of heaven around the table of the king On the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed, going to be arrested, going to be ridiculed, going to be beaten, and going to be nailed to a cross. The worst of it being that on the cross, God's commitment that we should be joined into his own fellowship was so strong and extreme. That he laid the guilt and the penalty and the punishment of all the sin of all his people onto the shoulders of this great Shechem, this great burden bearer. So much so. That the depth of the horror of the cross was not in the physical, but was in the relational. 
as we hear the great cry of dereliction from the cross. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabanatai. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the horror of the cross for Jesus. That in bearing the wrath of God, he knew and God the Father knew and the Holy Spirit knew that in some way the Son would have to experience a breaking of fellowship. Remaining the Son but in some way the experience of the fellowship with, with, was withdrawn and this causes him to cry out. And then finally we read in John 19.30 it is finished. It is finished. Everything that has been necessary for the payment of sin and for the purchase of my people has been accomplished. Knowing all of that before him, he devoted himself to the fellowship of his believing disciples except for Judas on the night that he was betrayed. Matthew 26, 26. And while they were eating, Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance that what he has done has been for the purpose to incorporate us into his mystical body. So that we in him and with him and the Father and the Holy Spirit would forever enjoy the fellowship around the throne of God and in the presence of God. As we take this emblem of the body of Jesus today. Let's do so not in a typically, okay, I'm going to do it. But let's do so this way. And I need to do this too. I take this asking God, Father, I ask you to enlarge my understanding and appreciation and embracement of fellowship for your sake. Would you pray that as we take the bread together? Likewise, after the meal, Jesus took the cup 
And he gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. What is Jesus thinking of when he says this represents the very life's blood that I will pour out for your sin? What is he thinking of? One day, the marriage supper of the Lamb, where every one of my people, my family, my loved ones, my beloved children, will be gathered together forever. This was his heart of joy. That in doing this, the great love of his heavenly father would be given to, shared by, and experienced in his people forever. Amen. For this, his blood was shed. And to this, we devote ourselves as his fellowshipping people with Christ. Let's partake. Thank you, Lord. Let me close with just this admonition and warning. Acts 2.40 says, 2.42 says they devoted themselves. This is a warfare. You're going to have to fight struggle, scrap, crawl, yell, scream, whatever it is you need to, to maintain and develop the fellowship being devoted to Christ through it. Those of you who are here today, many maybe on TV or whatever this is called, you're going to say yes. And the devil is going to say no. And he's going to begin to give you either fierce opposition through difficulties or fiercer opposition through opportunities. May I repeat that? He's going to give you fierce opposition through either difficulties or more fierce opportunities through uh, fierce opposition through opportunities of not fellowshipping. Let's be God's people who show the world the genuine, the genuine love of God in Christ. Eric, you want to lead us in a praise song? Let's stand together, please. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely.
completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. The mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend. The agonies of Calvary You the perfect Holy One Crushed your Son Who drank the bitter cup reserved for me Your blood has washed away my sin Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemies now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. perfect sacrifice I've been brought near your enemy you've made your friend pouring out the riches of your glorious grace your mercy and your kindness know no end so we say thank you your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, your blood, your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. The love of my soul, I want to live for you. It's our desire, God. Lover of my soul, I want to live for you. Sing it again. Lover of my soul, lover of my soul, I want to live for you. Your blood, your blood has washed. away my sin Jesus thank you the Father's wrath completely satisfied Jesus thank you once your enemy 
Now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for seating us at your table, Lord, and that's true of all of us in this room that have been redeemed by Jesus the Savior, who have been bought by his blood. Lord, we've been seated together, Lord, we are unified in Christ, Lord, so would we, would we live out the reality of what is true? Lord, we have, we've been brought to your table, Lord, we banquet together, Lord, we, we are able now in Christ to fellowship like never before experience true fellowship. So Lord, help us this week to prize this with our friends and with our family and with those in Christ, Lord, to to receive the benefits of fellowship. Lord, because of our gratefulness for what you've done in saving us, Lord, we love you. Thank you for your blood that covers our sins. Help us to live for you and your glory this week. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You guys have a great week.